This week's episode is brought to you by Beverly Hills Orthodontics, brightening smiles with the -the state-of-the-art technology and Invisalign since 2008. Love yourself, love your smile. You can find them on Instagram at Beverly Hills Ortho or online at www.beverlyhillsortho.com. Today, I'm so excited to introduce Dan Kramer, a trial lawyer who specializes in litigating personal injury as well as representing employees and employers in employment law. Listen as he and Brandon discuss his extensive experience in law and how he got there. Good morning, everyone. This is Brandon Matloff in Los Angeles. Welcome to the Stella Oak Mavens podcast, where we feature different mavens in different fields. A maven is an expert of an expert. They are the go-to person who you would want to ask all the questions to before making a decision. The purpose of our podcast is to help the consumer be more knowledgeable. Today, I'm really excited to host Dan Kramer, a trial lawyer who specializes in catastrophic personal injury and wrongful death matters. Dan has obtained 12 jury verdicts as a lead counsel at a very young age, many of which who have been documented in the Daily Journal, Verdict Search, Huffington Post, Fox 11 News, it goes on. He is a partner of Kramer Holcomb Sheik and was recently elected as secretary of the LA Trial Lawyers Charities where he will serve as the president in the future. And today, Dan will be sharing his experiences as a trial lawyer and the decisions that led him to found KHS. Welcome, Dan. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, I actually just finished trial number 13, for the record. <laughs> All right. Excited to be, hear about that one. So um, before you were really doing all the trials on your own, I understand you were at your own firm. Um, sorry, you were a part of a, a big firm, and then you decided to branch out. So can you tell us a little bit about how you went from starting at a big shop and then how you ended up kind of on your own in your own boutique firm? Sure, yeah, so um, I was at a big insurance defense firm in downtown LA, is about 70 attorneys, great firm to work for, learned a lot, had a lot of great mentors, tried a lot of cases, but um, you know, I just kind of uh, was seeing that there was, a, there was kind of a ceiling there and uh, I also, was realizing I was kind of on the wrong side of things. Um, I wanted to more help individual people who were going through some of the worst horrific tragic times in their life. Um, Loved ones who lost a husband or a grandfather or a wife, um, someone who's severely injured and can't really walk again. That excited me more. I felt like I could make more of an impact on those people's lives. So um, in 2012, with uh, two of my close friends from law school, um, we started getting together and meeting for about eight months. Uh, meet on the weekends, meet late at night, early in the morning. Um, started developing a plan to open up our shop. And uh, honestly, it's the best decision I've, I ever made. Um, have not looked back. So what's interesting is that, well, a couple things from what you just said. One is you were putting in the man hours to try to build this other firm while you were in practice, so it's not like you left your firm and then worked on something for a bunch of months. You were doing them both at the same time, which obviously shows that you were probably working a ton of hours during that time to make this thing happen. So that yeah. I really want to know: how were you able to manage doing both at the same time? I'm sure it was demanding, being 
uh, working for a big firm as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, none of us really had the luxury of lots of savings. I mean, honestly, I mean, when I came out, when I was in that position, I was only a third or fourth year lawyer, still riddled with tons of law school debt, wasn't able to save much. None of us were, quite frankly. So we had to keep working. And, you know, we also loved our jobs. I mean, honestly, we loved our bosses. We were very loyal to our companies. It wasn't in a situation where we hated our jobs or hated our bosses or hated where we worked. We loved it, but we just wanted to make our mark on the legal profession. And so it was. I mean, I was flat. I mean, I wasn't married at the time. Obviously, didn't have any kids. Um, so it was, I mean, every weekend working on building the, the new firm, but I was also a trial lawyer there. So, I mean, I was having to try cases at the same time, meaning, which also means late nights and weekends. Um, it's just, a, you know, it's just nonstop. I mean, essentially there wasn't much of a social life during that time. Um, it was all either my current firms that I was dedicating my clients at the, at the large firm I was at, or just uh, building a marketing plan, a budget, uh, looking for office space, all these things, any hours I could find in the day to make that happen, I had to squeeze those in um, because once you kind of start that train, it's kind of hard to turn it around. Um, once you really kind of make up your mind that you want to do this, you know, you, that drive just doesn't go away and it just builds and builds and builds, especially with every, you know, every little thing we do to make the firm a reality. When you were uh, doing defense work and on insurance companies' behalf, obviously something must have, have clicked in you to say, hey, I, I want to, when I do my own practice, I want to work on the opposite side. So was there a moment or something that happened uh, during Yeah, your, I mean, there were, um, no, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, there, there were, I, I love what I did and you know, the first, I, I was trying cases in my first year. Uh, I was very fortunate. They, they gave me a lot of leeway. I was on my own trying jury trials in Santa Monica downtown on my own as a young lawyer. Um, but over time, you know, I, I was getting defense verdicts. I was, def you know, basically saying, convincing a jury that they should not award the plaintiff anything. Um, but there were a few of those that, I mean, I remember I went to my, to my mom and I was like, yeah, you know, I got this defense verdict. And She's like, well, I mean, the person went to the hospital and, you know, the person sounds like they were injured and you, you, I mean, maybe they just didn't have a good attorney on the other side, but, you know, it, it you know, I did, and then I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, you know, that's kind of true. Like, uh, you know, these people did deserve something. And then I go back to the saving the insurance company, a couple hundred thousand dollars here or there. And, you know, I just, I, it just didn't feel as rewarding. It didn't really feel the way I sought out to become a trial lawyer. My grandfather was a trial lawyer in Durham, North Carolina. I used to hear so many great stories about, you know, just the pursuit of justice and really helping people out. I mean, he loved his job and I used to sit around the, the dinner table hearing his stories and just edging my seat listening to him. And after a while, I just felt like I wasn't really fulfilling, fulfilling what I had sought out to do, you know? And so I kind of made the decision that, you know what, this is just not what I'm passionate about anymore. I really want to be on the other side. I want to help people that need it, that go up against these huge businesses that have unlimited resources, and I want to take a crack at them um, because I'm confident in what I can build a team around and in the skills that I have learned from my great mentors and my other firm that I really want to take, you know, just take the fight for the little guy. I know it sounds cliche and a little glib, but... Uh, that's really what drove me to start to start KHS. If you could go back um, 
to when you were in law school, do you think you would have done anything differently? Do you think you might have tried to start your own firm before going to a big place, or do you think you would you recommend starting at a big shop first and then and and then trying to ultimately branch out? Yeah, no, I mean, one hundred percent. I would recommend if you're able to do it, work for a firm if you can. Work for a firm that's going to give you experience, that's going to give you mentorship, um, that they have, you know, organization that can really help you thrive and learn to be an attorney. One of the hardest things coming out of law school, you're not prepared to be a lawyer, much less a trial lawyer. And when you go to a firm and you have really good mentors who actually care about your progression and your knowledge and you becoming a good attorney, someone that can actually, you know, talk in front of a jury or talk or argue in front of a judge or if you're not a trial lawyer to write great motions um, or do appellate work, you really need mentorship. I mean, I still think we're an apprentice profession. Um, you know, law schools are starting to go in that direction a little more, but uh you really do not know how to practice law when you graduate law school. Um, so I have some great friends who, whatever the circumstances, they weren't able to get a job, especially when I was coming out, the market was horrible. And they were forced to start doing firm and they're thriving, but there's, it's, it's, you know, there's a huge learning curve. And you not only have to learn how to run a business, because at the end of the day, I mean, we're, we're businessmen and women. I mean, we have clients, we service clients, and you know, we obviously try to make a profit to keep the business thriving. Um, but to learn that and also learn how to practice law, um, that's a daunting task that is not necessarily a requirement if you don't have to do it. So I always tell young lawyers, you know, as eager as you are, I'm sure you'll be great entrepreneurs and great business people and great lawyers, but learn under someone else for a while, even if it means, you know, taking a little lower salary. But if you can get experience from someone else who knows what they're doing and you can learn how to practice law the right way, then you can go out on your own and really learn how to build a business but you got to get those foundational principles, you know, that foundational knowledge before you step out there, at least in my opinion. Where did you get your first set of clients from because you were starting on your own? So, And you were obviously not going after the firm's clients because that was the opposite side of the aisle. So where, where did you start? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the hardest things that I think a lot of young uh, attorneys, because most attorneys are horrible business people um, because they don't really teach law students how to start a business or understand a business and a balance sheet, profit and loss statement. I mean, they don't even know what those are, and those are some of the most basics one-on-one in business, as you know. Um, but yeah, marketing has got to be one of the most important things. And as a contingency lawyer, we do not, my point, my, and, and I, cause I read a lot of books, there's a lot of great books out there. I mean, like I said, we spent eight months before we even opened our doors really preparing it because we didn't want to be, do this and on a whim and not have all of our ducks in a row. And there were still things we had to figure out, but my, my, I, I had planned that basically I would not have any income for about a year or two from the personal injury side. Um, my partner, Sherok, who does transactional, he was able to actually have some clients that he was servicing um, on weekends and on nights when he was working in-house for the Independent Film and Television Alliance. And so we did have a steady flow of income, and that was one of the, the, the benefits and the beauties of having um, different different sets of different areas of law where we can have income coming in from the transactional and then wait off for those, those larger paydays from contingency cases. So as those larger paydays uh, came in and you guys ultimately – um, had had settled and, and had started to make a profit and the firm is thriving. 
What did you do with the money? Did you put it back into the firm? Did you think about expanding? Did you get more space? Like, what did you what did you start doing as you were building your practice? So yeah, yeah, we didn't we, we didn't take any of that money. Um, but kind of going back to your question about my first client, so so I did get a call from uh, a friend that I used to work with. Um, you know, it's all about the network. It's all about your network from law school. And I tell when I go speak to young to law students, I tell them stay close with the people that you are that you know now. Because those are the people that are going to send you cases later on. Um, you're going to have out of law school, we have people going into 27 different fields of law. Someone's going to get a call one day, and they're going to need someone that's an expert in entertainment law or personal injury, and then they're going to want to call you. Um, so, so basically, I got a call from a friend whose uh, grandmother's best friend's husband was killed when he was crushed to death by a grocery uh, truck. They ran a red light. Uh, it was a horrible, sad, sad case. It was two months into our practice, um, and so I, my, my, you know, I immediately got close to the family. He reminded me his story. He was a World War II vet. Reminded me a lot of my grandfather. You know, it was such a sad case. Um, got very close with the family. I mean, they became. I treat them like my family. You know, went to the funeral, talked to them all the time, went to the house um, because it was so sad. You know, and I just want to make sure they got justice. And so we hit the ground running. We went after this grocery store company. We deposed everyone. We fought tooth and nail, um, and we ended up getting a multi-million dollar settlement for the family right before trial, um, which really set their life up so that they didn't have, you know, that I just didn't want his wife to have to worry because her husband did everything for her. I didn't want her to have to worry about anything in the future. I wanted them to worry about mourning and moving on. Um, so obviously that, that really set up that family. And it also, you know, I mean, Part of what we do is that we we're able to really help people, and then also there's there's a you know we can be profitable off helping people. I mean that's why I love this profession. I know sometimes it gets a bad name, but it really that every attorney I talk to on the trial side they really love helping people. Number one, um, and and so that really did set up our firm. But we put all that money right back into the business um, from hiring staff which we tried to hold off on as long as possible um, because like I said we didn't know when the big paydays were going to come and so it was just the three of us for about eight months um, doing everything top to bottom faxing you know filing documents uh, all secretarial work we just did it all because we want to keep overhead as low as low as possible but you know having this case and another big couple big cases we had coming in um, it really set us up to like I said hire staff um, we could spend more on marketing, uh, you know, sponsor, advertise, you know, really, you know, go to more CLEs, for example. Uh, but we didn't take any of that for ourselves at all. So then what drives you at this point? Like what's what's keeping you pushing forward and continuing to build? Well, I mean, I absolutely love what I do. Um, I am very fortunate. Uh, I was raised by great parents that always taught me to do what I love doing and it will not feel like work and I cannot tell you how right they were. Um, there's nothing I love more than representing a client and going into a courtroom against a big bully uh, business corporation insurance company that is saying their harms and losses are not real, what they're feeling is not real, and then they're not accepting any responsibility for what they did and caused. And I love nothing more than saying let's, let's see what a jury has to say about that. And then going into a courtroom and getting to know and talking to 12 citizens in our community from the cross section. We have people that are, you know, 
janitors to CEOs, doctors, you know, I mean, that's what I love about our system is that you have these 12 people from cross sections of our society, different ethnicities, races, sexual orientation, sex. I mean, you have everyone that gets to decide the fate of a person or a business. Um, and I love it. I mean, I love the ability to go and talk to a jury and then tell my client's story um, because a lot of times they can't tell it for themselves. And I get to be that mouthpiece and go fight for them um, to a judge, to a jury. Uh, there's nothing I love more than doing that and representing people that I'm their last resort, essentially. You know, these clients are really, they are really relying on you. Like, in, in a sense, you are the last resort. They're, you're the person standing between them and, and justice, right? And so how, how do you deal with when it doesn't go your way? Like, if the jury doesn't rule in your favor, and if it hasn't happened, how do you think you'll deal with it in the future? Uh, go home and cry for days? No, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I think it would be, it'd be, I mean, it'd, it'd be horrible. I mean, not not for my ego. I mean, I can try the next case. I mean, the thing is, is for my, for my clients, this is their one shot. Um, I treat it like it's my one shot. And, and, and you know, I mean, I, I treat every case like this is the end all be all. This is what I treat them like it's my family members. Cause I think that's the right way to try a case. Uh, if you're halfway in, if you're even 90% in and 10% out, you're not going to try the case that your client deserves. Um, and it would, it, it would break my heart, quite frankly. I mean, it's just, um, but you know, some cases are tough. You know, the cases that go to trial are the cases that are tough. I mean, there's a reason why the other side, whether it's a large business, corporation, insurance company, who represents an individual or a business, um, there's a reason why they're taking the case to trial. I mean, they have insurance companies and businesses, I mean, they have layer after layer of people looking at a case, analyzing a case, deciding, is this case going to be worth multi-millions of dollars? If it is, we need to pay it uh, because the jury can run away on us and we can be hit for tens of millions of dollars. Um, you know, so they they analyze it. They have a lot more people on their team who all they do is risk assessment. And they're going to say, well, you know what? We're actually going to take a chance at this because we think there's an X amount. They have a percentage. They plug it into an equation. They say, well, I think there's a 75% chance we win. Um, these people aren't stupid. And so cases that we, that go to trial are cases that are tough. Um, they're cases that either hang on a liability dispute, uh, meaning that, you know, the defense doesn't think they're, ne they're negligent and they have a lot of experts that they pay a lot of money to to say that they're not, they're not uh, negligent or they, ha or they have experts that Harvard, you know, Ivy League medical schools that uh, are saying our client is not injured. And so we have to you know, tell our client's story and see what a jury does. Um, because you never know what a jury's going to do, quite frankly. Um, but in terms of, of a loss, a loss is horrible. I mean, I don't know any trial attorney that can say that they'd be okay after a loss. It'd be hard. It's hard. It'd, you know, it'd be heartbreaking. It'd be absolutely heartbreaking. You know, you have a certain sense of humility, which I think is probably what makes you such a, a great attorney. Don't lose that focus because people need uh, attorneys out there like you that really care about their client. So I'm going to throw a curveball and do what we call rapid fire, where I'm just going to ask you a couple quick questions and people get to see another side of Dan Kramer. Uh, so number one, what it, what's your favorite book? I mean, uh, this is going to probably sound like such a trial lawyer answer, but it's, it's got to be To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> um, 
Fair enough. I okay, so yeah. all right. So next question: um, Who wins next year, uh, Colorado or USC in football? Oh, my my Buffs better win. Uh, we're zero and thirteen against SC, so my Buffs, our Buffs, Matt Loft, better win. Favorite place to uh, network? Um, it's <laughs> a great question. Um. I'll help you out with this Cala, one. Cala Las Vegas. I was going to help you out and say the KHS uh, holiday yeah, party. Yeah, KHS firm party is always great. Uh, worst financial decision you've ever made in your life? Hmm. Um, I would say not consolidating my law school loans when I was a second-year law student when I could have locked in a 2% interest rate. Hmm. Good, good, good advice on the other side. Well, thanks, thanks, Dan. Thanks for playing uh, uh, rapid fire with me. So, hey, real quick, as we kind of wrap up, um, what do you want other people to know that are not lawyers and are skeptical of attorneys in general? Like, how, what do you want to know? How do you want to set the record straight for people to view you? Look, I mean, um, even when I was in law school, I thought I did not want to do personal injury. I thought that was you know, bottom feeding a, a low form of the law. I want to do business, transactional, corporate work. Um, but then I started to see how much these attorneys truly care about their clients. Um, and the attorneys, of course, you'll get some bad apples, but you'll get some bad apples in every single field. In the average we're professional, quite frankly, but the people I come across, I mean, they are the most genuine, nicest, kindest people that have bigger hearts than you can imagine. I mean, these people, trial lawyers that represent individuals, they put their money on the line, their personal money. Sometimes they take out mortgages on their home to fund a case because they believe in it and they want justice for their client. Um, and I've seen many attorneys that lose a lot personally because they never, the client never has to pay them back. The client never has to pay them legal fees. So. You know, in my cases, when we're trying a big case, we have to put hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars front it, and if we lose, we don't get that money back. So we take big gambles, and we don't get our, our time back, um, but we dedicate so much of our lives and time away from our loved ones to fight for these people that we really believe in, and we, the cases we believe in. Um, so when people, you know, kind of give the personal injury attorneys or plaintiff's attorneys, trial attorneys a bad name, I mean, we're, we're the ones that are the last chance really against big corporations and insurance companies to fight for justice in front of a jury. Because if you have a legislature, for example, that is bought and paid for um, by special interests, big lobbies that big insurance, like I said, big insurance companies, big corporations, um, the laws then will not favor the individual. Um, but the one place that we can actually effectuate change is in a courtroom. We got 12 citizens that do not have any ties to either side and they decide the fate. They're the ones who can say, you know what corporation, you did do something wrong and you need to pay, make this person whole again and compensate them for what's right. And they can hold them accountable. And so I think that when we're fighting those fights and we are that last line, I, I just want people to recognize that, to recognize that, that, that we are there to truly get justice for these individuals that have been harmed, wronged, or killed. Um, and I'd say 95% of the trial lawyers that I know and that I'm close with, 
they all feel that way, and they all are fighting the good fight. I love it. So, uh, Dan, as we wrap up, do you want to just share your uh, contact info in case anyone has a question or comment, wants to reach out to your firm, maybe use you guys in some capacity? Um, How's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. I'm always available. Um, You can email me at dkramer, that's D-K-R-A-M-E-R at K-H-S-L-A-W.com. So it's dkramer at khslaw.com. Or you can, excuse me, or you can call me at 310-551-0600. Also, our website is www.khslaw.com. Great. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate that. This has been a Stella Oak Mavens podcast. We empower you, the listener, to take control of your life. And you can find us on iTunes and on Instagram at Stella Oak Mavens.